From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. It may be safe to say we have a love-hate relationship with the sun here in Colorado. We enjoy the sunny days, but the dry climate can take its toll on our skin. We are a mile above sea level. We are much closer to the sun, and so the effects are much more pronounced. And that's especially true for people of color. We'll talk about how to care for your skin and the dearth of diverse dermatologists here in Colorado. And later, Grammy-winning jazz saxophonist Gerald Albright calls Colorado home, and he'll be featured at a new concert series this summer at DIA, and it's free. I feel after all these years that I'm just getting started. I, I feel like there's more music to produce, more music to write, perform. Support for Colorado Public Radio comes in all shapes and sizes. You might give monthly as an Evergreen member or contribute during fund drives. Maybe you donated your car or gave a gift of stock. For all the ways you support CPR, thank you so much. Your generosity is deeply appreciated. Thank you for bringing trustworthy news and timeless music to listeners across Colorado. Explore all the ways to give at CPR.org. Click on Support CPR. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. If you've spent any length of time in Colorado, you'll likely love the breathtaking mountain views, the plethora of outdoor recreation, the low humidity, and the daily dose of sunshine. But the latter is often not so kind to the largest organ on the body, our skin. In fact, the website Everyday Health includes Denver on its list of, quote, 15 cities that are toughest on skin. And that was based on research by the National Climatic Data Center. And people of color here say they struggle even more with the effects of the arid air, sucking the moisture out of their skin. Well, one Denver woman decided to address that. She reached out to a dermatologist of color here in Colorado in hopes of providing relief to so many people who've complained of these challenges. Karen Grissom joins us now. Thank you so much for having me, Chandra. I am so happy to be here on this beautiful sunny day. Speaking of our weather here in Colorado. <laughs> yes, uh, that like you said, it's kind of a double-edged sword. The sunshine is beautiful, but it can get very, very dry here. So Karen, tell me this backstory. As an African-American woman, you were struggling so much with your skin that you even considered getting on a plane and seeing a dermatologist out of state. Tell me about that. <laughs> I actually did. I was doing some research and trying to find a black dermatologist. And there in are Colorado. in Denver, Colorado, or any of the surrounding areas, um, there are none. And I looked through my insurance, I looked through the internet and just came up with nothing. So I went back to the portal for my insurance and really started studying the doctors. I wanted a doctor who was melanated and I wanted someone who had some experience, if not a ton of it, but some experience with black skin. I am fortunate in that I don't have some of the major skin issues. I was simply having some uh, skin tags removed. It was that 
simple for me. They run in my family and I wanted them removed. And I I wanted it done in a way that I knew somebody wouldn't make a mistake. So Mm. there are online options that I could try DIY things, but I, when it comes to your skin, I just feel like you leave certain things to the professionals. And that's what I was after. In my research, I came across Dr. Tina Seneja and I started reading her bio and in doing so, not only was she a melanated woman, she also was involved in some of the same work that I do, which is EDI or equity, diversity and inclusion. She is involved in it in her workplace and I was involved in it in mine. I discovered that she was voted one of the top doctors here in Colorado and I was like jackpot. So uh, I was so happy. And and I even noticed that her work, you know, her education was in St. Louis and Kansas City. And it's like those are areas that are heavily populated with, you know, black folks, melanated people. So I was sure that she had the experience. And when I went in to uh, meet with her, I was floored. You know, clearly I'm not a doctor, but I was so glad to have one that I had so much in common with. And it has been a blessing. And I have referred a ton of people to her. And I just, you know, I'm sure she's overwhelmed at this point. (laughs) Um, You know, and I, I, but I want to make sure that we have access to a doctor with um, experience with melanated skin of all tones. And that's mm-hmm. the thing. I'm, I am lighter complected, but my I have family, friends of all shades, and we all need somebody who knows and understands our skin. You reference melanated skin. And just to be clear for those who may not be familiar with that, melanin is the substance that gives us pigment in our skin. So mm-hmm. let's say an African-American or a South Asian or a Latino person may actually have more pigmentation in their skin, hence the term melanated skin. To your point, Karen, I know that, you know, I'm in a lot of different portals online and I had even asked about, does anyone know of a Black dermatologist here? And so far I have yet to see anyone respond with a name or referral, but, you know, but as you mentioned, Dr. Tina is uh, a melanated woman and you felt that that was important in that she would understand some of the complexities of, of your skin. Yes. In fact, the procedure that she used, you know, there's in some skin, I think you involve heat and in others it's involving cooling And, um, you know, there's a little pinch involved and, and she said, oh, you know, with, with other skin, I would do it this way, but with your skin and just having that knowledge, you know, uh, somebody who gets it and somebody who's not going to do a procedure that's damaging. So you are teaming up with Dr. Tina for an event coming up, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but let's bring Dr. Tina into the conversation. Welcome, Dr. Tina. Thank you so much, Chandra. Thank you for having me. So you grew up in Missouri, and you moved to Colorado in 2007, and you've practiced medicine here since then. You also have been a professor 
And you also were cited and recognized by 5280 Magazine as one of the top doctors in 2022. Congratulations on that. Thank you. I found this topic interesting because I can say that I've lived most of my life in very humid and very hot places. And once I moved here to Colorado 11 years ago, I was immediately aware of how the dryness is a major issue with my skin. And I have heard so many people complain about this. So can you tell us why the struggle is real here in Colorado? So the lack of humidity, which makes it so that we can be outside and, you know, enjoy the beautiful weather without feeling um, kind of suffocated, it takes a toll on our skin, on our hair, and on our nails even. So mm-hmm. it's really important to make sure that you stay hydrated, that you use a lot of moisturizer all year round. I recommend that folks keep a humidifier going in their bedrooms at night to add moisture back into the air. Growing up in Missouri, my parents used to run a dehumidifier to take moisture out of the air because (laughs) it was, um, you know, so uncomfortable, but we need to do the opposite here. And, you know, in the same thing with the altitude, we have more than 300 days of sunshine a year there. That's, you know, a big reason why people love living in Colorado and coming to Colorado to visit. We are a mile above sea level. We are much closer to the sun. And so the effects are much more pronounced. So we see a lot of sun-related skin cancer and aging on the skin. So the environment that we live in plays a very big part in the health of our skin and our hair. How is this extra challenging for people of color? There are a couple of things that come to mind. One is um, a lot of times people of color think that because they have darker skin, they don't need to wear sunscreen and they don't need to protect their skin from the sun. And that's not true at all. It's important for individuals of color to know that um, sun protection with the right sunscreen, hats, sunglasses, sun protective clothing is just as important for them as it is for white people. The other place where I see a difference for people of color is with hair. So the structure of um, the hair of black individuals is different. Because it's so curly, it's much harder for the natural oils that our scalp produces to get through the entire length of the hair. And so because of that, the hair is much more prone to drying out quickly and then more prone to breakage and just being more delicate overall. And so the dryness here um, really can take a toll on black hair. Definitely. I have experienced all of this. I really had never experienced living in a place 
that was so dry. And I, I just feel like it's a totally different experience. You feel like you must have some type of moisturizer on at all times. And you feel like your lips are chapped. Like you said, your nails can sometimes feel brittle. Um, and your skin, you know, you really have to be proactive with, as you mentioned, hydration and moisturizer. Absolutely. What do you hear most often in terms of complaints from your patients that come in? I think the majority of my practice for all patients, issues with eczema that gets exacerbated by our weather. Um, so will be worse in the winter when we go from dry to drier. I see a lot of folks come in for acne and Unfortunately, I see a lot of skin cancer because mm -hmm. we still have a lot of the population that grew up in a time period when we weren't as knowledgeable about why we need to protect our skin from the sun. You know, I grew up in the 80s in Missouri where you just spent all day in the summer outside. Nobody wore sunscreen. And then <laughs> absolutely, I can relate to that. And then later on, you know, we had tanning beds. People thought that was such a great idea because clearly it must be safer than being in the sun. And we know that it's not. So seeing kind of the effects, the downstream effects of all of that unprotected sun exposure. So that's a large part of my practice as well. I found it interesting that in my intro and in your comments, we noted that what we love about Colorado is the sunshine and the emphasis on being active and outdoors, but in some ways that's kind of working against you with the skin issues. Definitely. Obviously, this is an issue for people of color, but what is your general advice for combating this climate in relation to the effects on our skin? Everybody needs to use a thick moisturizer every single day. Keeping the skin well moisturized and hydrated is important to the overall integrity of the skin. Wearing a zinc or titanium-based sunscreen daily is very important, not just when you are going to be outside, even if you're driving, you know, just running errands. All of that sun exposure is cumulative. Even, you know, just not being outside actively, you know, just, I just went for a walk for 10 minutes. You know, I just went to the grocery store, parked my car, walked in. All of that, all of that sun exposure adds up. So it's important to protect your skin against it every day. For individuals of color, it, ha it has been difficult to find sunscreen that we can use because all of the sunscreen that had been made for years and years and years was really made for white skin. And so when any individual of color would want to use it, they would be left with sort of a whitish cast. Mm. <laughs> and that's very discouraging. Nobody wants that right on their face. And so people of color couldn't find products, skincare products that are designed for us. But that fortunately has started to change because people of color recognizing this need have created products meant for other people of color. And so it's sunscreens that 
have the right ingredients to keep our skin protected, but they also come with a tint so that it doesn't leave that whitish cast on our skin. And it comes in different skin tints because people of color are also not all one shade. And Mm. so it's become in the past recent few years easier for people of color to find skincare products that are meant for them. That is really interesting that you brought that up, Dr. Tina, because I actually recently saw a friend of mine go live because she was at a a drugstore, I believe, and she saw a Black-owned line of skincare products for sun, sunblock, sunscreen, or whatever, And I had never seen that before because I've used some of the commercial, you know, other products. It doesn't show up as as bad on me and they don't smell as bad as they used to because they used to be absolutely putrid. But now they're they're better. Yeah, Dr. Tina, I I was kind of chuckling to myself when you mentioned the sunscreen because I come uh, I have a, a close relative who was an esthetician, so she has really impressed upon us the importance of protecting the skin. But uh, my sons actually have darker skin than I do. And I cannot tell you how frustrating it is every time we go to the pool that they have to look extremely ashy <laughs> because <laughs> the, the higher SPF sunscreen, as you mentioned, has this extremely thick, white, heavy coat on their skin. And it's really horrible. And I'm like, is there a such thing as clear sunscreen? Because I am so tired of using <laughs> this product. And as you mentioned, it is a deterrent because no one wants to look like they have chalk on their face. <laughs> but you also don't want skin cancer. So it's kind right. of, you know, as they say, the struggle is really real. Yes, it is. And I feel your pain, Chandra. I have the same battle with my children. Um, who are also darker complected. So yes, the struggle is real. Has this always been kind of in the forefront for you as a South Asian woman? Absolutely. I think for any individual of color, it's just part of our truth and part of our experience from the very beginning. In South Asian culture, there's a lot of colorism, which is bias against skin tone among South Asians, you know, where if you're um, more lighter complected, that's considered more desirable, more beautiful, as opposed to being darker complected. People would put a lot of emphasis on that, on sort of where you fall in the melanated spectrum. You were constantly aware of that growing up. A lot of South Asian women in particular, unfortunately, continues to be a big deal. Growing up, I remember on the rare occasion that my mom would let me wear makeup, you couldn't find any makeup that Mm -hmm. would look appropriate on our skin. And that was difficult because everyone else could find things, you know, find a powder or foundation that matched their skin tone or find a lipstick that was dark enough to use and, you know, makes you feel like you don't matter when you don't find anything that's made just for you. And you, of course, have worked in the DEI 
realm in medicine, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion, has this kind of formed as somewhat of a form of um, advocacy for you to raise awareness about these differences that you deal with as a practitioner? Absolutely. Less than 3% of dermatologists in the United States are Black. 12 to 14% of our population identifies as Black or African-American. So there's a huge disparity there. One might argue, well, do you really need to see a doctor that looks like you in order to get high quality care? No, but we know that when individuals are able to see a doctor that looks like them, especially people that are from underrepresented, marginalized communities historically, there are better outcomes for their health when they're able to see a doctor that where there's race concordance is what it's called, especially when it comes to Black or African-American skin and hair, you need to have a knowledge about how things look different on darker skin. You know, the way a rash will look on white skin, it's not going to look the same way on dark skin. As Ms. Karen mentioned earlier, You have to have a knowledge of how melanated skin will heal after procedures so that you use the proper techniques to minimize scarring, to minimize um, what we call post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation or dark spots that are left after a procedure or after a rash. I treat acne differently in my patients of color being mindful of the dark spots that can be left as acne lesions heal, having that awareness and having that knowledge is really important. It's just one small step in the process of trying to close that gap, that disparity between population breakdown and the demographics of dermatologists in this country. Uh, I even heard about an effort to put pictures in the medical books that show skin other than white skin. Yes, absolutely. That's a huge problem in dermatology textbooks that, you know, medical students use or dermatology residents who are uh, dermatologists in training is our books don't even have pictures that show dermatologic conditions in darker skin. And if you happen to train in an area where you don't see a lot of diversity and you don't see a lot of patients of color and your textbooks don't show you that, then there's no way that you're going to be able to adequately take care of patients of color because you've had no prior exposure or experience. I could definitely see someone saying, does it matter what color the doctor is and what color the patient is? You know, historically, individuals of color have not had positive experiences with their physicians and with the healthcare system in general. And what happens is um, an individual of color will go see you know, their dermatologist or another doctor and their concerns are dismissed because either the physician can't recognize what's going on 
or doesn't know how to treat it in a culturally responsive way. And those patients either are misdiagnosed or there's a delay in diagnosis or they don't return for follow-up because they didn't have a good experience. And that should not be what happens. You know, it, it, I, I just wanted to say that was part of mine. I was actually looking in Atlanta to go see a doctor there, but even those doctors there was overbooked and there was no way for me to even get in while I was in, in the city. Representation is important. Historically, we've had to look at a name and try to determine, is this a Black person? Is it possible that this Black-sounding name is a is someone who is representative of me and my community? But I like how we are moving towards something where, where insurance agencies specifically are saying, this is our doctor, this is their bio, this is a picture of the person. And so we have an image of someone who looks like us or has something in common with us that we can go to see who can hopefully have some sort of knowledge, wherewithal and compassion regarding our uh, skin care. And so for me, I knew that um, Dr. Tina wasn't necessarily a black woman, but when I got a chance to read her bio, her background, and the fact that she was a melanated woman, I knew then and there that she was the, the doctor for me. And more companies should head in that direction, seek out and acquire these doctors, cast a wider net for uh, recruitment and retention for these doctors that look more like um, your patients. Dr. Tina, I have one more question for you before we get into this event coming up in Denver. I did an interview for Colorado Matters uh, a few months ago about this effort called Black Men in White Coats. Basically, a recruitment effort to get more Black doctors into the industry, but specifically Black male doctors. What knowledge do you have about the presence of of any people of color practicing dermatology in Colorado? And are you aware of any efforts to increase that number? So that's a great question. And I actually had the privilege of listening to that piece that you did, and it was wonderful. Black men in medicine is a it's a very small percentage very small number of black men are going to medical school unlike other minority groups underrepresented in my in medicine groups um, that number is actually decreasing so we're going backwards instead of making progress i am not aware of any dermatologists in the denver metro area who identify as Black or African-American, but there is effort being made nationally. You know, our professional societies have started publishing studies and are talking about this issue because it's really becoming a crisis. You know, not having enough Hispanic dermatologists, enough Black dermatologists, in 20 to 30 years, the population of the United States is going to be more diverse 
And we need to have doctors who can take care of those patients. Some efforts that are being made is to be very intentional with um, recruiting, with mentorship. So to have, to start all the way in middle school and high school and have medical students and physicians and of all different specialties mentor uh, students that come from underrepresented groups. For some of these students, they can't even imagine, no one's ever told them that college, let alone medical school, is a possibility. But when you know that someone has your back and that there's someone there that is invested in your success, that's very powerful. So establishing pipeline, working with the um, National Medical Association, which was created as a counterpart to the AMA or the American Medical Association, working with local societies and groups of minority physicians, such as, you know, Black physician groups or Latino physician groups. That's how we'll be able to create the diversity that our specialty so desperately needs. Let's get into this event. Karen, you were so frustrated with the dearth of dermatologists of color in Colorado that you sought out the help of Dr. Tina, but you didn't limit yourself to just helping yourself. You decided to approach her about teaming up for an event. Tell us about the event. So the event is called All About Melanin. Truly love and understand the skin you're in. There were so many people saying, you know, where are the Black dermatologists that I felt like this event was a must. Like we have to get folks in a room to share concerns, to be able to ask questions. And I knew Dr. Tina was the person. We had had such a great conversation. She'd given me her email and I was like, I'm going to reach out and see if she'll be, you know, willing to do it. And thank goodness she was. And um, Tasha Madison, the owner of On The Go Wellness Spa is a licensed uh, esthetician. Uh, she's had her business for some time now and they have a space and we can get in there and have this necessary conversation about our skin with somebody who gets it. You know, Dr. Tina gets it. And, and that's all some people need. There are different concerns that people have ranging, like she said, from, you know, eczema to acne to hyperpigmentation climate issues. And so we can get together and we can talk about this. Whoever has melanin in their skin uh, and wants to have the conversation, this is not limited to women. It is not limited to Black folks. It is for those people of color, um, Latinx. Let's, let's get our you know Latinx folks in there um, as well, because this is really about access. Um, so yes, it's it's about inclusion, but it's also about access and and how we have been impacted by this lack of access. So there will be, you know, it's a $20 ticket and the ticket covers the event. Um, it covers the beverages and the hors d'oeuvres. So it's really simple, just a two-hour conversation with Tasha, Dr. Tina, 
I'll be the host and facilitator, but also having these amazing women uh, sit there and talk about the, the differences. This is information that we need from the experts. We can have this great conversation and feel like we've learned something and come away with important information that's good for the soul. So the event is entitled All About Melanin, and it is subtitled How to Truly Love and Understand the Skin You're In. And it's being held on Sunday, July 23rd from 1 to 3 p.m. at On The Go Wellness Spa. And that is in Denver. And so we just look forward to seeing you there. Karen, Dr. Tina, thank you so much for joining us. That was Dr. Tina Sunasia, a Denver-based board-certified dermatologist, and Karen Grissom of Denver, who is teaming up with Dr. Tina on an event this weekend focused on how to best care for skin of color here in Colorado's dry and arid climate. When we come back, the jazz stylings of Grammy-winning saxophonist Gerald Albright, who finds inspiration in this place he calls home. Yes, here in Colorado. This is Colorado Matters on CPR News and KRCC. Indy 1023 with things you can bring to the Underground Music Showcase. Bring some suntan lotion. That's that's definitely a must. Fanny packs and or hip bags. LED gloves. GoPros are good. And with all the shouting, singing, cheering you're most likely taking part in, Lip Balm is always a good festival friend. That's just some of the things you can bring to this year's UMS. The Underground Music Showcase, July 28th through the 30th. Three days, multiple stages, hundreds of bands, and one app to help you map them all. Google Play and at the Apple Store. Tickets, weekend passes, and weekend four-packs. UndergroundMusicShowcase.com. Info on where we're set up, nd123.org. The airplanes aren't the only things flying this summer at Denver International Airport. Music will soon fill the air. The airport has a free summer concert series featuring local and national jazz and R&B artists starting July 30th. That includes Colorado's own Gerald Albright. I spoke with Albright in September. He says the crisp air and breathtaking mountain views have inspired much of his work, including many of the signature collaborations that have defined his career. Well, it's a big part of the pie, the musical pie. You know, collaborating with other artists only brings you know, special music and other great chapters to the listening ear of our audiences. You know, we like to mix it up a lot. You know, I, I don't want to write all the songs and, and perform all the songs by myself. I mean, it's it's a lot more fun for me to be a part of a team and share talents with folks who I truly love on different levels, both musically, spiritually and otherwise. And it just promotes the music on a higher platform. So it's all about celebrating the music and collaborating is one of those major facets of it that we just know and love. Here's an excerpt from Sheen Magazine. Albright is not only a master saxophonist, he is also a multi-instrumentalist who takes extreme pride in producing extraordinary music that resonates deep into the hearts and souls of people on a global scale. How does it feel to hear you and your work described that way? It's the greatest compliment in the world. I started playing saxophone when I was nine years old, and it was my dream to be on stage and have my own band and write my own music and have a record deal. And I just really have been fulfilling my dream and purpose. And I feel after all these years that I'm just getting started. I, I feel like there's more music to produce, more music to write, perform, 
I love being on stage and and uh, witnessing the spontaneity of the music and the oneness with the audience. And it, it just never gets old. It never gets boring. Well, clearly you have done a lot with your career. You have sold more than a million albums in the U.S. alone and have appeared on over 200 albums with a wide variety of artists. Some of those artists include Anita Baker, Olivia Newton-John, The Temptations, Maurice White of Denver's hometown band, Earth, Wind & Fire. You've also toured with Quincy Jones and Whitney Houston. What stands out to you as a top career highlight? We spoke earlier about collaborations. I mean, when you're on the stage with a Whitney Houston or a Phil Collins, you're in front of 50, 60, 70,000, sometimes 100,000 people in, in one gig, you know, and and sometimes you look off the stage and you go, my goodness, this is a true testimony of how powerful music is for these people to stand out all day in 100 degree weather. And you can't even see the end of the crowd because it's, it's so massive. Yeah, um, It's just uh, it's the greatest compliment for people to appreciate and love what you do on that magnitude. So having worked with artists of that caliber. I will never forget those moments. And it just made me a better person all the way around as an, as an entertainer. You know, it, it allowed me to travel the globe and see places that I never would have seen without music. It was just a win-win across the board in the A to Z. So I'm just very thankful that I've had those experiences. Now, you mentioned Phil Collins, and I wanted to ask you about that. You fronted a big band for and was handpicked to tour with Phil Collins. What was that experience like? Incredible. Um, Phil is a dear friend. And at one point of his career, he wanted to just be a drummer. You know, he's known for his vocals and his songwriting and all the stuff that he did for for Disney movies over the years. But sometimes when you dig deep into a, a person's passion, you're surprised at what they really want to do. And there was a point in time where he wanted to do a big man tour and have a couple of featured artists, uh, namely myself and the fantastic uh, Olita Adams. And we all toured together with this big band and it was a totally different experience than his pop side with all of his big pop hits. And uh, we recorded a record called A Hot Night in Paris, which uh, I had the blessing of uh, employing one of my tunes called Chips and Salsa mm. uh, as a big band arrangement on that particular project. So. Uh, Working with Phil uh, was just like uh, one of the apexes of my career because he, he's just quite a gentleman himself and, of course, quite the musician and vocalist that everybody knows and loves. And, you know, I, I smile at those experiences that I've had with him. So uh, it, it's, it's great. It's great to have that. What inspired Chips and Salsa? I just love Latin music. I was uh, very fortunate to uh, be a bassist and a saxophonist with the great Willie Bobo, who was 
uh, a premier uh, Latin recording artist for many, many years. And that style of music was very festive and high energy. And, and I really enjoyed that. So uh, out of those experiences, uh, I wrote Chips and Salsa and originally recorded it with a small combo Hmm. Uh, uh, just a rhythm section. And then when we decided to do it on the Hot Night in Paris, Phil Collins record, uh, it went from that to like a major big band, powerful sound. And uh, I just love both arrangements because one is very intimate and the other one is just full throttle, uh, high energy with a bunch of horns and a full rhythm section. So it's nice to have, uh, you know, both versions to, to appreciate. career again it's just so hard to hone in on one hit i asked around to some of your fans about their favorites and they mentioned before i let go with dave Coz, which is the famed frankie beverly and may's song that i call the quintessential summer barbecue and family reunion song (laughs) (laughs) you have to have it some also mentioned my 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 ain't no stopping us now what are two of your favorite songs to perform Wow. It's hard to narrow it down, but I have to say that So Amazing is very important to me because that was my launching pad for my recording career. That was my very first single back in 1987. And I'm a big fan of Luther Vandross, who I was Mm. inspired to borrow this tune from. And I've been playing it ever since 1987. So that sticks like glue to my career. I have to do that song on stage or, you know, my audience gets a little perturbed about it. Lately here, I did, uh, on my Slam Dunk project, I did a version of James Brown's It's a Man's Man's World. I love doing that song because you can really dig into the melody, and it's it's such a soulful song, and, and it's a very open and very simple and honest song in its approach. So I get a chance to kind of take my time with it because it's a ballad and just kind of, you know, put the gravy on it and, and really kind of massage it. all around the world for your music and you are a Los Angeles native but you moved to Castle Rock with your family in 2005 why Colorado well I was at a point in my life where I needed some change and you know, I had been in Los Angeles all my life mm-hmm. Los Angeles is a place that I truly love 
Um, so I have great experiences there. But, you know, as you get older, you kind of want to slow the pace down a little bit. And in 2004, I did uh, a big benefit here uh, for a dear friend of mine who was promoting it. And I just mentioned to him in passing that, you know, I've been to Denver maybe a few times, but only to perform one day and then leave and never had a chance to really capture the mm. essence of Denver and the neighboring cities around. And he said, well, why don't you come in a couple of days early, you and your wife, and check out the city, look at some homes, you know, just, and I play golf. So he said, go to some golf courses and see what you like. <laughs> like oh, he was, he was uh, reeling you in, huh? Secretly. <laughs> oh, he was reeling me in, you know, so, uh, and so we did that for two days. We saw about 25 homes, which is a lot of work, by the way. And yes. <laughs> uh, we went to the downtown area and uh, you know, 16th Street Mall and that whole area and just kind of captured the essence of it. And long story short, we moved 45 days later from that experience. And we just love being here. We're almost 18 years into being uh, Colorado residents and we're just loving it. What projects have been inspired by Colorado? Well, in 2006, I released a project that I'm very proud of called New Beginnings. And it seriously was new beginnings for us because being from the West Coast and we've never lived anywhere else. When we got here, we were like, wow, we really moved to Colorado. We did this, you know, just seeing the wildlife and the people were very nice here. It was really inspiring for me to put together. When I listen to songs on that record, it always makes me reflect back to when we first moved here. And it was a win-win for all of us as a family. So that that project, New Beginnings, uh, was one that came out of that move. Preparing for this interview, I reached out to some of your fans in Colorado and one gentleman by the name of Don Stickles of Franktown, near where you live in Castle Rock, told me that he is a huge fan of yours. But he says he's an even bigger fan of you and your wife, Glennis, due to an act of kindness you both extended to him during a specially emotional time. He told us about how he and his wife met you and your wife on a jazz cruise, you, you know, Discussed that you both live in Colorado. You remained in touch. He and his wife would always come to your shows. And when his wife passed away unexpectedly, your wife wrote a beautiful letter that was read at her memorial service. It's a very wonderful uh, thing that kept me going through uh, what was very difficult times. Uh, You can just hear the emotion in his voice. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Whenever I'm in the, the Colorado area, I can always look out in the audience and see, well, before his wife passed, I could see them as a couple out there. 
really enjoying the music. And then now I always see him in the audience. And I'm just really glad that he was touched by Glennis's letter because it was, I believe, an easy thing to do for her because of the time we spent on the jazz cruises. And we always appreciated them as a couple and mm. and the spirit that they emoted. So, you know, they were they're just great people. And I just love great people. My wife loves great people. And so I'm, I'm glad that it touched his heart. And I'm sure that his wife, uh, Peggy, is smiling down on him for all the wonderful years that they've shared together. So that that's a great way to clinch the interview. I appreciate that. Gerald Albright, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. That's Grammy Award-winning saxophonist Gerald Albright. He's lived in Colorado for nearly 20 years. We spoke in September. Albright's is featured in Denver International Airport's new free summer concert series. He performs August 6th. Thanks for joining us today and to the Colorado Matters team. Tyler Bender. Carl Bielek. Anthony Cotton. Pete Kramer. Andrea Dukakis. Rachel Estabrooks. Michelle Fulcher. Matt Hers, Tom Hess. Michael Hughes. Chris Ketchum. Pedro Lumbraño. Shane Rumsey. Ryan Warner. And I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. This is CPR News and KRCC. Love it.